And I think that there's a sentiment that happens among cancer survivors. Well, I just have to live with this. At least it's not cancer. At least it's, you know, I like, I live through cancer. Like I can, I can just deal with this. And the truth of the matter is like providing cancer survivorship care is about giving a woman back like a wonderful quality of life. And, and so she may have developed these things even outside of cancer and you know we're here and able to treat them like pelvic organ prolapse incontinence things like that and i think it's really having that conversation with a patient like listen these are common but not normal and there's a lot that we can offer patients as our ability to detect and treat cancer has improved more people are living longer after their cancer diagnoses For survivors of breast and gynecologic cancer, that can mean more time living with the side effects treatment can have on sexual and pelvic health. On this episode of the Women's HealthCast, Dr. John Pennycuff talks about what these side effects can include, the variety of options to address sexual health concerns for cancer survivors, and what he wishes more people knew about the connection between cancer treatment and pelvic health. Dr. Pennycuff is a fellowship-trained physician in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. From the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's HealthCast. I am very pleased to welcome Dr. John Pennycuff to the Women's HealthCast today. We're going to speak a little bit about sexual health after cancer care. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You are a um, physician in our division of female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Can you tell me a little bit about why people come to see you? What kinds of questions and um, issues that they might be bringing to your clinic? So um, typically women come to see me because they um, have been living with a pelvic floor disorder, which are very common. Uh, One in four women in the United States uh, has a pelvic floor disorder, and that number goes up to one in three after the age of 50 and all the way up to one in two after the age of 80 years old. And pelvic floor disorders are things like pelvic organ prolapse, that sensation of a vaginal bulge or something falling from the vagina, urinary incontinence, like uh, that urgency frequency on the way to the bathroom or leakage of urine with cough, sneeze, or laughing. Um, We also treat uh, fecal incontinence or accidental bowel leakage, which is loss of gas or stool when you don't wish to lose that. And then finally, sexual dysfunction, so pain with intercourse um, or difficulties with intercourse. And the truth of the matter is that these things are very common, but they're not normal. Um, And unfortunately, because they're so common, women sort of attribute it to being part of the natural aging. And that's something they just sort of have to live with. And and that's not the case. There are many doctors... um, and you know, nurse practitioners and, and pelvic floor PT that are available at UW to help uh, treat those symptoms. I wanted to talk to you today in particular about the intersection of pelvic floor disorders and sexual health and cancer survivorship. Um, I kind of got this topic in my mind for you after watching a Grand Rounds presentation you gave to our department about you know this, this intersection, this area of care for people. Um, and I, I'm curious a little bit what inspired your interest in sort of cancer survivorship and um, pelvic health. Yeah, so I actually think that that's a great intersection. Um, you know, the I really was inspired by this idea of cancer survivorship, and that's the idea of living with, through, and beyond cancer. And it begins at the time of diagnosis, but extends well into once uh, you know a woman is in remission, she's completed her treatment. And so 
kind of where I come into, you know, I'm not an oncologist. I don't treat cancer. I don't do surgery for cancer. I'm not giving chemo, but I do pelvic health. And so the kind of when I come in is after a woman has gone through pelvic, uh, excuse me, has after a woman has gone through uh, cancer care and now she may have some symptoms related to the cancer treatment or the surgery uh, she received in order to treat that cancer. These things can be vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, it can be urinary incontinence, um, it can also be prolapse. And, and there are many reasons why cancer care could, could lead to some of these symptoms. And so I don't treat cancer, but I help ensure um, pelvic well-being and, and intimate well-being after cancer care. One statistic you shared in your presentation that was just really staggering for me, I guess I had never thought about it, was um, the number of women we can expect to be cancer survivors in the United States within the next five years or so. Um, it seemed like a number that would be growing quite a bit. Can you, yeah, can you tell me like how many people we might expect to be cancer survivors in the U.S. within the next five years? Um, yeah, so over the next five years, we should expect that there are probably um, approximately 10 million female cancer survivors in the United States. Uh, breast cancer is the number one, and that's my area of inter interest in terms of research, but breast cancer is sort of the largest cohort of survivors in the country. And by 2026, we expect there to be about 3.8 million breast cancer survivors. And um, by probably 2030, we expect there to be about 4.5 million. And, and that number is going to increase as we do, a, particularly with breast cancer, as we do a better job of detecting and treating. Um, and, you know, I think another interesting stat is that 90 to 95% of breast cancer, um, women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, um, will be living beyond five years after their diagnosis. And so I think that there's a really a, a big opportunity to take care of women um, in terms of their public health and uh, sexual well-being needs. So as we can expect this like larger and, and kind of ever-growing number of um, women who have gone through cancer treatments and other cancer survivors, um, what kinds of, I'm curious, I guess, if some of the treatments that they will go through can have side effects for their pelvic health and their sexual health? So that's a great question. And there are many reasons why um, women who are, are survivors of GYN or pelvic cancers or breast cancer um, might be experiencing symptoms of their, in their pelvic floor. One of the reasons is, first of all, surgery. So, you know, a hysterectomy for cervical or endometrial cancer can have implications for incontinence. Women um, who underwent treatment for a pelvic cancer or a rectal cancer, anal cancer, and had pelvic radiation uh, as part of their treatment plan, um, the radiation can affect the bladder, can affect the vagina, which can lead to issues like incontinence as well as sexual dysfunction and, and painful intercourse. Um, sometimes we have to remove the ovaries as, as part of uh, treatment for, for example, breast cancer, um, and that decreased estrogen may have an effect on sexual function as well as you know, the pelvic organs, which are, are estrogen dependent. And then finally, there are medicines, uh, particularly in breast cancer, that women take in order to prevent recurrence or the cancer from coming back. These are things like tamoxifen or letrozole, and these 
uh, can cause vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, urinary incontinence, and, and newer research is showing that maybe even some pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and so there are many reasons why a woman may have some pelvic floor symptoms after, as a result of her uh, cancer treatment. And that's sort of what spurred me to, to kind of do more research in this and, and also, you know, to be thinking about how can we take care of cancer survivors and get them back to, you know, a better quality of life in terms of their pelvic health. So you mentioned a few things like vaginal dryness, um, possible increased um, pelvic organ prolapse, painful intercourse. Um, are there other side effects or um, like downstream consequences from cancer care and that you that you see a lot that folks come to you a lot or are common complaints? And then, you know, kind of how can those side effects affect people's pelvic health and sexual well-being overall? Sure. So I think the number one symptom we see, like by and large, is vaginal dryness and sexual dysfunction, painful intercourse. And the conversation can be, you know, we just need to tailor what the patient's hoping for, what her goals are, what she wants to get out of treatment, and, and you know, what she wants to be able to resume doing in terms of activities. And so it can be just making sure that we use evidence-based guidelines for that, for giving recommendations on vaginal moisturizers, uh, lubricants during intercourse. I think there are a lot of women who, you know, would benefit from vaginal estrogen, which is sort of estrogen that's applied locally to the vagina. And there's a lot of questions about whether they're good candidates for for the vaginal estrogen, like will it make their cancer come back or is it safe? And, and you know, these are, these are questions that we can sort of discuss with the patient, what they want, what, what are the known risks, what's, what's the literature say, and then have that conversation with their oncologist to, to formulate a good plan. Um, you know, patients that underwent radiation may have uh, sexual dysfunction because the tissue's dry or, or the vagina is sort of shortened um, because of the radiation, as, as unfortunately, as a result of the radiation. And so there are things that I can work on um, in conjunction with the pelvic floor PT, like dilator therapies to help women regain sexual function. And there are even surgeries that we can do to help um, give a woman back a normal vaginal length caliber to, so that, you know, sex isn't, isn't painful. And then again, you know, women who are cancer survivors may also just have pelvic floor disorders that they would have had whether or not they had the cancer. And I think that there's a sentiment that happens among cancer survivors. Well, I just have to live with this. At least it's not cancer. At least it's, you know, I like, I live through cancer, like I can, I can just deal with this. And the truth of the matter is like providing cancer survivorship care is about giving a woman back like a wonderful quality of life. And, and so she may have developed these things even outside of cancer. And, you know, we're here and able to treat them like pelvic organ prolapse, incontinence, things like that. And I think it's really having that conversation with a patient, like, listen, these are common, but not normal. And there's a lot that we can offer patients. So I wanted to ask in particular about some of the options that are available for folks who are having um, negative side effects who now have this new issue affecting their quality of life. And it sounds like you know, as I've also kind of learned in the course of this podcast with pelvic floor disorders in general, um, 
there's almost a like a, a spectrum of of scale of intervention. There are, you know, some I would say lower barrier to entry kind of things you can do like lubricant and like small things to try all the way up to steps that might feel a little bit bigger, but but it's definitely sounds like it's about meeting the the person who has the specific complaint kind of where they're at and figuring out what will work well for their lives. Yeah. You know, so I think whenever I have a patient in my clinic or in my office, I I often say like, listen, I'm not I'm not saving life. I'm I'm doing things to make improve your life, to to make you feel better. And so I think when my approach to patient care is that I need to understand like what are your goals? What are your values? What are you hoping to get out of this visit? You know, if it's just, hey, this is happening and I want to make sure it's not something scary or dangerous, right? Like, you know, a patient who is a cancer survivor and now they feel a vaginal bulge may think like, oh my gosh, is this a manifestation or is this like the cancer coming back or is this a different type of cancer or what is this? And maybe she just wants to know what this is, that this is prolapse and these are her treatment options and we can just watch and we can, we don't have to do anything major about it. Or maybe a patient wants sort of like some quality of life. We can, my, I'm having painful intercourse and I just want to know how do I pick the right lubricants? And, and I read about vaginal estrogen. Is this the right thing for me? And some patients may say, listen, I got a problem and I want a surgical fix. And so I think my approach is like, where is the patient? What does she want? What is she looking to get out of, you know, her visit with me? And then what can I offer? And I offer I, the full spectrum. I say, listen, we can do, if it's appropriate to observe, we can observe. We can do minimal sort of conservative therapies. We can work with a pelvic floor PT and all the way up to surgical management. And I think it's really important that doctors sit and listen and, and, and are open to understanding where the patient's at and, and how can we best serve their needs. You mentioned one thing that I... I... I want to maybe see if we can do a lubricant sidebar for a second because, so you mentioned, you know, how a question might be, how do I choose the right lubricant and how, how does someone choose the right lubricant? What are we looking for? I guess, are there unique needs for this um, cancer survivor population that might affect their choices in a lube? And like, how do we as consumers know um, what's what's what, what's good. I've heard the term osmolality, and that's not a word that I know or understand. And so I don't know how to judge if something is like the right pH or anything. So I think everyone's sort of introduction is they go to the drugstore and they just see what's in front of them at the drugstore. And then they buy the one that they either they've heard of or the packaging that appeals to them or, you know, et cetera. So the first thing to understand is what's the difference between a vaginal moisturizer and a, and a vaginal lubricant? A moisturizer is just like a skin moisturizer. It's, it's a product that's applied to the skin of the vagina that's gonna bring water to the skin of the vagina. And then sometimes there are other um, products that you can apply to kind of keep moisture in as well. So those are, you know, you use them like three times a week and it's bringing moisture to the, to, to the tissue. That's a moisturizer. Now, vaginal lubricants are products that are used at the time of intercourse to help reduce friction and to help make intercourse more comfortable. Um, again, these are a little bit different than vaginal moisturizers. It's important to remember that like how 
sort of thick the product is or how um, sort of smooth the product feels is all in, it's all a consequence of the, of the different components that are in the different ingredients that are in the, the moisturizer or the lubricant. The vagina has an ideal pH, so like it has an, an acid-base environment that it likes to be at. That pH is somewhere between 3.8 and, and 4.4 or so. Um, so you want a product that is, that is acidic, right? And so you want a product that's not too acidic and not too basic that falls within that, that guideline. Um, you want to, you mentioned osmolality. Osmolality is really a, a measure of like how, what's in the product to make it sort of thick or viscous. Um, like most people know that like a lubricant or a moisturizer is like thicker than water. Well, ingredients have to be added to the, to, to the product in order to make it kind of thick um, or to make it smooth. And then that can have an effect on the osmolality, meaning that if something's really thick, it's got a very high osmolality. And so that may um, be damaging to cells and to fragile tissue, particularly women who um, are survivors of cancer, they may have thin or fragile tissue. And so a number that kind of the World Health Organization um, recommends is less than 380. And so um, you know, it's not always apparent like which products are appropriate and, and, and which ones aren't. And then finally, there are ingredients that are added, things like um, there are ingredients to make the product stable on the shelf. There are ingredients added to make sure that the bacteria doesn't grow in, in the product. There are um, ingredients that are added to make a product feel a certain way or be warming or be numbing or smell a certain way or taste a certain way. And these can all have sort of an impact on the, the tissue of the vagina and the health of the vagina. Um, one thing particular that for breast cancer survivors, for example, uh, the recommendation is that they avoid products that have parabens. Um, which is a preservative that's added to a product in order to keep the shelf life longer. Um, but there may be some association with cancer and parabens. And so the WHO does recommend that, that uh, survivors of breast cancer stay away from parabens. Um, and one of the things that we can do in clinic is talk about, okay, you're looking for a, vo a moisturizer, you're looking for a lubricant. These are the sort of products that we have available. These are the product lines um, that, like, are, that are good. And, you know, we have a good resource here in Madison, we're very lucky, called A Woman's Touch. And it is sort of, um, it is a, a business that sells lubricants, moisturizers, um, and other products such as that, uh, that can, and, and they know kind of what, what products would be appropriate for patients and not. And so we're lucky to have that here in, in Madison, and, and that's a, a good resource for patients. I was going to name also mention a woman's touch if it didn't come up because I know that it's such a valuable resource for sort of a broad spectrum of sexual wellness needs. Um, I'm curious. So, you know, we've got definitely a lot of listeners who are kind of outside the Madison and Wisconsin area as well. Um, are there resources or places um, online that you recommend folks can can look to keep some of these numbers in their forefront, right? So we don't have to carry around the ideal vaginal pH in our brains, but can kind of, are there any resources online you recommend people check out? You mentioned the WHO a couple times. Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, 
I'm sure there are, but they're not as widespread, I think, as they should be. And they're not as, like, easy to get as they should be. Um, I think that the American Cancer Society has a lot of resources that are available online about cancer survivorship care. Um, There are a number of national and international organizations on women's health. Um, Ishwish is, is one that I can think of that probably has some resources for patients. Um, but you know, the truth of the matter is this is just not as talked about as it should be. We don't have a good central resource for patients to go to. Uh, and that's something that, you know, I would love to have to see change over the course of my career is, is that, that every woman who, whether or not she is a survivor of cancer has access to to sexual health resources and pelvic health resources. I will tell you, um, the American Urogynecologic Society um, has a website called Voices for uh, PFD, so voicesforpfd.org. I think that's a great place to for patients to sort of um, learn more about pelvic floor disorders, what's a urogynecologist, the, the doctor that treats uh, pelvic floor disorders, how they can get uh, into care, things like that. And so if, you know, someone's listening, I guess my, my recommendation is if someone's listening and they're like, I think some of those symptoms might be kind of what I'm experiencing. I think the American Urogynecologic Society, uh, Voices for PFD are, is a good place to start. But also making an appointment with your doctor, bringing these up, making an appointment to come see me at the university to to, you know, talk about what you're experiencing and and see what resources and treatments are available for you. I will make sure to include a link to voicesforpfd.org in the show notes of this episode. So for anyone who's listening, you can navigate over to the page for this episode and um, links to a lot of the resources that Dr. Pennycuff has mentioned will be there. So they're easy to find. Um, So you mentioned in... Um, kind of your Grand Rounds presentation, that you're interested in continuing to work on research in this area. Um, are there things that you think healthcare teams could be approaching differently or thinking about differently to help get ahead of some of these side effects or life changes for patients, or even just, um, you know, some of them might not be avoidable necessarily, but just like working ahead so that when folks are finishing their treatment, they kind of have some resources on hand already or have some some conversations have already happened? So I think the first thing is just knowing that these things happen, knowing that like these symptoms, these disorders come up as a result of in the general population, but also among cancer survivors. I think there's a really interesting statistic and, and that is that when we're talking about pelvic health, when we're talking about sexual health, doctors want patients to bring up sexual health complaints or problems that they're experiencing and patients want the doctor to ask well you're at an impasse right like you're both waiting for the other person and ultimately it's the responsibility of the physician in in my opinion we need to be asking our patients about their pelvic health we need to be asking about their sexual well-being um and we need to be creating that environment so they can talk about what's going on you know i think if you ask a patient hey what's going on like are you experiencing this have you noticed this I think patients are very willing to tell you and talk about these things, even though they might seem private or embarrassing. Um, But we have to create those opportunities for patients to to bring that up to us. 
Um, so I think patient, I think patients are going to come to the clinic, and I think we need to be asking about what their pelvic floor symptoms are, what their um, sort of sexual health symptoms are. There's some great screening questionnaires that are out there that if you know a provider isn't sure and, and you know wants to use that, uh, those are available as well. And so I think mostly it's just knowing that these things exist and making the opportunity to ask patients about that. So as we're wrapping up, what do you wish that more people knew about what cancer treatment can mean for pelvic health and sexual health? What is sort of your like one takeaway that you want anyone who's listening to walk away from this episode with? So I guess the thing that I would want any person, whether it's a provider or a patient to know, is that you don't have to live with these symptoms. The, the concept that like, I made it through cancer and now this just like is what happens and, and, and I just have to live with that. You don't. You absolutely don't have to live with it. There's, you know, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot of treatment options from very conservative to surgical intervention. There's a lot we can offer. And I just wish that more patients could come in to see a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or someone who's going to help them with their pelvic floor symptoms. Because the thing I hear that kind of, it breaks my heart is to have a patient who I, she, she battled cancer, did well, she's, and now she's trying to get back to her life and she comes and sees me and it's been seven or eight years and she's had these symptoms for a long, long time. And suddenly you're like, well, there's a lot we can do and here's what we can do. And it's just like that look of like, oh, well, we could have maybe done this eight years ago and like given some parts of her life back to her, you know, like the idea that this idea that like you just have to live with it because you made it through cancer. is just it just breaks my heart. And and I think that we're changing. I think that we're I think, you know, we're coming into a new dawn of, of medicine and I think we're getting there. Um, but you don't have to live with it. There's a lot we can do. And I, I just, I wish more, more patients knew that. Dr. Pennycuff, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on this episode of the Women's Healthcast about uh, cancer care, cancer survivorship, and pelvic and sexual health. Just thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Thanks for listening along with us in 2021. We're working on some great episodes for 2022, and we'd love to know what's on your mind. Let us know what health issues you'd like to learn about at the link on our podcast page. Have a safe, happy new year.